I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. Good morning or afternoon, every or evening, whatever, whenever you listen. Good Never morning. Morning. Hello. It is 640 in the morning for us, so. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, I'm just going to go right ahead and jump on in. Um, just so you know, this is going to be unsolved. <laughs> but I will have a solved one for you all because I... I did find one. Mm-hmm. So I did an unsolved one last time. Yeah. Yeah, you <coughs> did. But there seemed to be like missed. But see, with your unsolves, I feel like you have like really good options for suspects. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, so it's unsolved, but obviously the boyfriend did it, or it's either the wife or the stepson who did it. Mm-hmm. And mine's just like, we have no, no leads. idea. No leads. <laughs> There's no leads. There's no options. We don't know what happened. So I'm going to be doing the alphabet murders. I feel like I had heard about it, but I never done it before. Or like I never researched it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it sounds familiar, but I didn't know anything about this. Um, so this is going to be, and this is going to be a children's case. So the details aren't terrible, terrible. But it's not great. Like, if you're not good with, you know, the child murders, like, if they just really tear you up, you may want to skip this one. So, I'm just putting it out there ahead of time. Okay, so the alphabet murders took place between 1971 and 1973 in Rochester, New York. The victims were three girls between the ages of 10 and 11, and their names all began with the same letter as their, like, their first names Mm -hmm. began with the same letter as their last names. That's weird. Yeah. And they're from Rochester, New York, and they are all around the same age. So the first one, Carmen Cologne, the first victim was her and she lived in downtown Rochester. She had dark hair and dark brown eyes and was living in Rochester um, after she, I think her parents immigrated from Puerto Rico. That's where she was born. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and her mom was only 17 when she was born, and her father left shortly after her birth. Um, Carmen started out living with her mother, her uncle Miguel, her father's brother, mm-hmm. and her six siblings. So, oh, wow. Ooh, seven of them. That's a lot of kids. Um, she was well known in her area, having her grandparents living about 10 minutes from her home. You know, so like, they're like, oh, that's, you know. So-and-so, little Carmen, that's so-and-so's grandkids, you know. Um, And so with them living that close, she spent a lot of time going between her mom's and her grandparents' Mm -hmm. house. So in the fall of 1971, she was living with her grandparents full-time. And on November 16th, she went to Jack's Pharmacy to pick up a prescription for her grandfather. Mm -hmm. When she got to the pharmacy, she was told the prescription wasn't ready and it would take another 30 minutes. But she couldn't wait. Telling the owner, Jack Corbin, I gotta go, I gotta go. So, witnesses saw her leave the store and get into a car that was parked nearby. 
approximately 50 minutes later, and this is so tragic, like this part, I just thought, this is horrible and so sad. So 50 minutes after she left the pharmacy, witnesses on Highway 490 saw a young girl matching Carmen's description running around a reversing vehicle or running from a reversing vehicle. The girl, naked from the waist down, was frantically waving her arms and shouting before the driver of the car was able to reach her and lead her back and let her back to the car. After she was returned to the car, a dock, a dock, a dark colored Ford Pinto hatchback. No one saw her again. Hmm. Yeah. Someone tried to. No, no one thought that was weird. Unfortunately, no one stopped to help. Wow. No one contacted the authorities. Uh, yeah. What is wrong with people? I don't know. I'm like, what would you, what, what, like. A be, kid naked from the waist down, running from a car, wailing their arms in the air. Yeah. Obviously, something's not right. Right. Like, I feel like if it was like a little baby, it would be one thing. Because you're like, oh, it's just a, like maybe they're trying but to change But then again, them. you'd still should. Yeah. If just to make flailing, sure. Peace of mind. Yeah. It'd be different if you just saw like a toddler running from a car looking like. It's just running around like this is a child mm-hmm. that shouldn't be naked from the waist down. Mm-hmm. You know, what is going on? So that evening when she didn't return home by 5 p.m., her mom was worried. So she sent out some of Carmen's uncles to look for her um, and finding no trace of her anywhere. Her mother called the police and filed a missing persons report. Police searched the area thoroughly Um, even went door to door and found no sign of her. So two days later, near the village of Churchville, two teenage boys spotted something resembling a doll in some bushes Mm. on the side of the road. As they got closer, they realized it was no doll. Instead, it was the partially nude body of a little girl. Mm -mm. Yeah. Carmen had been discarded on the side of the road, approximately 12 miles where she had last been seen alive. Carmen was naked from the waist down, wearing only her shoes, socks, and a sweater. Her coat was discovered approximately 300 feet away in a culvert, uh, and her parents were found, oh, God, and her pants were found 12 days later on November 30th. And those were found near the service road where witnesses had seen a girl waving her arms frantically on the highway. Um... So the autopsy revealed that 10-year-old Carmen had been severely beaten. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's it's horrible. Like, it's terrible. She suffered a fracture to her skull and one of her vertebrae before she had been manually strangled to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her body was littered with fingernail scratches, and worse, she had been raped. Her uncles, when identifying her body, noted that you could still see dried tears on her face that's sad like it's her this one's a little rough you know it's it's just always terrible when it's kids and like the worst part is that like people saw this girl and they didn't do anything my thoughts exactly it's the bystander effect just look it up like it's a whole thing where people won't call they're like oh it'll be fine somebody else will call her oh you know like people just weren't paying attention yeah so, um, the community was outraged and I'm like, yeah, uh, you should be 
because some of y'all saw this girl mm-hmm. and didn't do anything. Um, there had been so many witnesses on the highway who had done nothing. In their defense, the 1970s was a completely different time. Most witnesses maintained that they did nothing because they expected it was a child running from a parent and only came forward after realizing they were wrong. There's no defense in that. Yeah. Which, of course, I took this from an article. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying in their defense it's the 70s and it was a different time, but... I don't, but I don't agree with that. I don't agree. Either. I don't agree with what I put in here. Um, because this is, and this is the kind of stuff that was happening in the seventies. People knew about people. I mean, it still happens. People know about children being yeah. abused and, um, and see stuff and think someone else will call. Yeah. Or be like, Oh, that's none of my business. Mm-hmm. So with it, this will post in April. So with it being, um, prevent child abuse month. You know, if you see something, if you feel that a child's been abused, say something. Okay, moving on. (laughs) I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Um, You know, so these people, once they realized they were witnessing a crime take place, then they came forward and was like, oh, yeah, we saw her. Great. Too late. Yeah. So two New York newspapers, the Times Union and the Democrat and the and the Democrat and Chronicle offered a combined reward of $2,500 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of her murderer. Numerous local businesses and residents added private donations to the fund, which then grew to exceed $6,000. So they were raising money and everything. And police identified several suspects in the following months, but all were cleared from any involvement. By December 21st, the investigation slowed, and only three investigators remained on the case full-time, but they never stopped searching. Billboards were erected along major Rochester highways, or expressways, and they were 30 feet by 12 feet, with an 8-feet picture, or 8-foot picture, um, of Carmen with the words, Do you know who killed Carmen Cologne? Along with a plea to help before it happens with the reward amount, before it happens again. They were like, please... Yeah. Like, this is on the billboard. It's like, please help before this happens to somebody else's mm-hmm. child. Um, with the award amount on there and a phone number to call. Okay, so then it wouldn't be much longer until it did happen again, but just long enough for people in Rochester to feel safe again. 17 months later, at 5 o'clock mm. on April 2nd. It's a while. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a year and a half, you know, even longer than that. And um, April 2nd, 1973, 11-year-old Wanda Walkowitz disappeared. Wanda was a hardworking, independent young lady with fiery red hair and bright eyes, and she was well-liked and was considered very mature for her age. When she was very young, her daughter... Why? When she was very young, her father died of a heart attack, leaving her mother to take care of her alone. Mm. Yeah, so, like, this is already sad. Yeah. Like, this is a sad story right here. And now, even more. So, buckling under the stress that came with being a single parent and living off her husband's social security check, her mother turned to drinking. Mm. She frequented local bars and pubs and even took Wanda and her little sister with her from time to time. Mm. So, she's just taking them to the bar Mm -mm -mm. and probably getting drunk and driving home. And it's the 70s, so... 
Everybody's just like, oh, that's none of my business. Mm -hmm. Like, hello. So one afternoon, on the afternoon of April 2nd, 1973, Wanda's mother asked her to run to the market to pick up a few things. On her way to the store, Wanda ran into a couple of friends who she walked part of the way with before they turned to go another way. At the store, the clerk knew she was walking and had a lot to carry, so he tried to make it easier for her, and he bagged all of her items in one bag, thinking it would be easier to carry. Mm -hmm. So it was about 5.15 when she left the store, and a woman who used to babysit her would later report witnessing her leave the market, struggling a little with the weight of the bag. However, Wanda never made it home. Her mother, realizing Wanda should have been home already, sent her little sister to find her. Like, her... You the mom. This is a this is a an eleven year old. Is she the eleven year old? Yeah, she's eleven. So how old is her little sister? Nine or younger? <clears throat> I don't have how the little sister was, but I'm just like, oh, so you just one child's missing. So let's go send the other child that's younger out to find her. Mm-mm-mm. You know, but I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, bash this parent or anything. But I'm just like, what is going on? So she and a friend walked to the market where they asked if Wanda had been there. And the clerk told them that she had and that she went back. And then they went back home and told mom. They were like, okay, yeah, she was there. Mm-hmm. About 8 p.m., her mother called the police and filed a missing persons report. Police immediately began their search, sending nearly 50 detectives to search the several square miles surrounding her home, the market, and other areas around Janice River. Genesee Genesee River where she was known to play multiple witnesses were called seeing her struggle with the large grocery grocery sack and three classmates specifically saw her bracing the bag against a fence I'm like this poor baby is struggling I mean somebody should have (laughs) they're like oh we saw her she had to put several of her classmates saw her bracing the bag against a fence so she can get a better grip like she up against the fence like trying to get it and i thought that was funny and i was like oh bless her heart like she's just struggling trying to get home and then all this terrible stuff happens so as she's getting a better grip on the bag a brown vehicle drove past her like people remember that their investigation also revealed an interesting bit of information Just two days prior, at about 10 p.m., Wanda and her friend had been walking along the railroad tracks. This is like, what? It's 10 o'clock at night. (sighs) They were chased by a man until he gave up and dove into some bushes. The man was a known sex offender. When asked if she was aware of the incident, Wanda's mother said she was. So So you're still going to send your child to the grocery store? Mm-hmm. So, no, (laughs) I just, I don't think I could. I mean, even if you think, well, you know, it's pervy, her, whatever. But still, he's like, he's a known sex offender and he's, so he's in the area. And he's already tried to get your child. Yeah. Like, well, who's to say he doesn't know that that's Wanda and he knows where she lives and now he's Mm going to follow her because he wants to get her. Like, you know, but okay. So police did not find Wanda that night. Who are we? (laughs) Yeah, what was going on? Um, it wasn't until 10.15 a.m. the next morning when a police officer doing a standard patrol along an access road to State Route 104 in Webster, approximately 15 miles from Rochester, saw something. 
He spotted something white, and when he investigated, Wanda's fully clothed body discarded at the base of a hillside is what he found. Mm-mm. Yeah. She was lying face down in snow, in the snow, and based on the position of her body, looked like she had been thrown from a moving vehicle, her body landing and rolling down the embankment. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just throw, just threw her out like trash. A child. A child. A full-sized, like, child. Wanda's autopsy showed that she had been beaten and strangled from behind with a ligature, most likely a belt. She had been raped and had several defensive wounds, indicating she had fought back. Traces of semen and pubic hair were found on her body, along with several strands of white cat fur. She did not have a cat. Her stomach contents showed that within two hours of her death, she had eaten custard, something she had not had at home or bought at the market, nor had the means to buy on her way home from the market. Investigators established an anonymous telephone hotline tip for tips relating to the murder. A reward was 10... Oh, my God. Am I gonna... Can I read? So, I'm just gonna read it again because I'm sure nobody knew what I... Like, let me just form a clear sentence. Investigators established an anonymous telephone hotline for tips relating to her murder. A reward of $10,000 was also offered. Okay, that was the sentence. <laughs> the two sentences. Okay. A tip came in... F- <laughs> do I need to go to speech therapy? I'm starting to feel like I do because something's, something's going on. A tip came in informing investigators that he had observed Wanda standing alongside the passenger door of a large brown vehicle where she was talking with the driver. He couldn't see who was in the vehicle, but noted that it was just two-tenths of a mile from Wanda's home. Another tip came in from a witness who claimed to have seen a man forcing a red-haired girl into a light-colored Dodge Dart on Conkey Avenue between 5.30 and 6. Although to many, these cases were too similar to not connect, police dismissed any suggestion of a link between Wanda and Carmen's murders. Hmm. Yeah. With this being the second child murdered in the area, parents went on high alert and stopped letting their kids walk to school or play outside. The community also felt it was too much of a coincidence with the girls' names and where they were found. This is when they were coined the alphabet murders. So Just about two. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, because it's Carmen Cologne yeah. found in Churchville, or I think that's what it was, Churchville. And then you've got Wanda Walkowitz found in Webster. So, and they're all... Yeah, Churchville. Yeah, so Churchville and Webster, Carmen and Wanda. Like, it's too... Yeah, it's weird. I feel like it's too specific. I mean, is it a coincidence that, like... But it's not a coincidence that their names... Mm-mm. Right? Like, how, how could that even happen? So, um, seven months later, another girl was abducted. Michelle Menza. And she was a sweet and innocent 10, year, 10, almost 11-year-old girl. She was a little bit of like a bigger girl, a younger, bigger girl, which led her to being bullied regularly, which broke my heart. Mm-hmm. It broke my heart. And as a result, she was shy and introverted. She had friends, but they were all younger as they were not so quick to judge her. Uh, Michelle was the middle of five children. 
She had two older brothers and two younger sisters. Her parents were divorced, and her brothers lived with her father, while she and her sisters remained with her mother. Her mother was very protective of her girls. She was known to take them with her everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when it came to school, she would put the baby in a stroller and walk them to school, and then pick them up on the same way after. Like, pick them up the same way. Yeah. On the afternoon of November 26th, 1973, Michelle's mother was informed that Michelle would be staying after school. What she wasn't told was that her daughter had been the victim of bullying that day, and as a result, both she and the other girl were given detention. Mm. Like, you picking on me. Mm-mm-mm. And she probably fought back, well, you gotta defend yourself mm-hmm. sometimes. And now she got detention, too. I'm like, um, hello, I've been being bullied this whole time, y'all. But, okay. So... Weighing her options, her mother decided that Michelle knew the way home, and she was old enough to make the walk alone. You know, just this one time. Mm -hmm. Her birthday was the next day, and her mother told the teacher just have her walk home on her own. At 3.15, when Michelle was allowed to go, she didn't head straight for home. Instead, she wanted to do something nice for her mom. Mm. Her mom had left her purse at a store in a shopping plaza close to her school. Her mother had been stressed out about it, and she wanted to get it for her. Her classmates report seeing her at 3.20 walking towards the shopping plaza. At about 5.30, a motorist witnessed a man parked along Route 350 in Walworth holding a little baby, or holding a little girl by the wrist. Uh, He was sure the girl was Michelle. He stopped to offer assistance, but the man grabbed the girl and pushed her behind his back. He made it impossible to see his license plate and stared menacingly at the motorist until he drove away. Mm. By that time, Michelle's mother had already contacted the police. She knew Michelle had no reason to run away, and she knew her daughter would never get into the car with the stranger. In her heart, she knew her daughter was gone. Mm. She had a breakdown and ended up in the hospital. So, I'm guessing, like, inpatient, like, Mm -hmm. psychiatric. Yeah. (sighs) So the police once again began to search. They searched around the girl's home, school, anywhere in the area they could think of, but Michelle wasn't anywhere to be found. Witnesses reported seeing a girl matching Michelle's description with a Caucasian man in Penfield at approximately 4.30 the day she disappeared. He had dark hair and was between the ages of 25 and 35, approximately 6 feet tall, and weighed about 165 pounds. The two were at a fast food restaurant. Two days later, at 10.30 a.m. on November 28th, Michelle's fully clothed body was lying face down in a ditch alongside a rural road in Macedon, approximately 15 miles from Rochester. So this is another town with the same letter, letter as the girl who went missing, and it's about 15 miles from Rochester. So, like, it's like this person's taking them just far enough out of town that they're not going to find them until he's done did what he's did and they're gone, you know? And like, he's either somebody within the area or something like, you know, for him to keep going back to Rochester to kidnap these girls. I mean, he could have made it his spot to, to do it and he doesn't live there. You know, like the golden state killer didn't commit murders and crimes in his neighborhood. He just, he would drive to places and do it. So her autopsy revealed that she had been beaten, including severe 
blunt force trauma to her body. And she had been raped and strangled from behind with a ligature. This time, they believed it was a thin rope. Mm. Yeah. They found several strands of white cat fur on her clothing and foliage within one of her clenched hands. Investigators retrieved a partial palm print from her neck, as well as traces of semen from her body and underwear. Forensic analysis confirmed that she had been raped by a single individual. Michelle's stomach contents revealed that she had had a hamburger and onions apparently one hour before her murder. Looking at these three cases, police weren't convinced that all three were committed by the same individual. How? I don't know. So, well, and here's a little bit about, like, in the case of Carmen, she hadn't been redressed, she hadn't had food in her stomach, and she had been strangled manually from the front. The last two Wanda, both had cat fur. Like, Yeah, like, so you don't think... So, yeah, and Wanda and Michelle were redressed... Both had had something to eat, and both had been strangled from behind mm-hmm. with a tool. So, you know, that's the reason they don't think they're together. But I'm like, okay, this makes could, sense. Like, this could just be a... I'm like, this isn't like he's taking... Whoever this is, they're not taking them back to, like, a location, it sounds like, and murdering them. Mm-hmm. It's like he's snatching them up. He's got them in the car. It's like he's killing them in the car and then just throwing their bodies out. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's already used the belt, so he's probably gotten rid of the belt, and so now he's got a rope. Mm-hmm. And the first time, maybe things went a certain way, and so he ended up having to manually... Like, the first time, he may not have known what his M.O. was going to be. Yeah. And then he decided, oh, I'm going to redress them. Like, he may just be trying to throw them off. We don't know. So, anyway... um. Since witnesses were able to give a better description of the man seen with Michelle, police were able to create a composite drawing of their suspect. Um, so they gave, like, like, you could be anonymous as well as get a reward. You know, that was something they had offered to anyone with information mm-hmm. uh, that would lead to an arrest. Yet, despite the numerous calls and tips they received, nothing led them to a credible suspect. So... Here are some suspects in the case. And there's a few that did seem credible, um, but they never had enough to make her an arrest on anybody. So the first one is Miguel Colon. And that's Carmen's uncle. Um, He was considered to be a strong suspect. In the weeks prior to her murder, he was known to have purchased a car that closely resembled the vehicle witnesses saw reversing on Interstate 490 in pursuit of the girl. Um, a search of his vehicle revealed that both the interior and exterior had been scrubbed clean with a strong cleaning solution. The dealership the car was purchased from confirmed that it had not been cleaned with a detergent prior to its sale. So, like, some for some reason he just scrubbed the inside of his car clean, and it almost matches, you know, it's similar. Mm-hmm. Also, inside the car was a doll belonging to Carmen, This was easily explained away by relatives who confirmed that she frequently, you know, rode in his car and could have easily left her toy there. Yeah, I mean, he's her uncle. Yeah, like, so that's not really giving off anything for me. Interestingly, just two days after Carmen's death, Miguel told a friend he would be leaving the country as he had done something wrong in Rochester. So that don't sound good. Mm -mm. Um, Two days later, he was in Puerto Rico. 
Um, ultimately, he surrendered to authorities on March 26th and agreed to be extradited back to Rochester for questioning. He had no credible alibi, but in the end, it didn't matter. All police had was circumstantial evidence. And in 1991, Miguel Colon committed suicide um, or completed suicide following an incident of domestic violence in which he shot and wounded both his wife and his brother. And he was 44. It's crazy. So when you think about that, it's yeah. like, okay, maybe her situation was singled out. You know, like yeah. maybe he did do that. But then somebody else is still doing some alphabetical mm-hmm. stuff. You know, like, so if her uncle did do that, like maybe he did think, okay, I'll go to Churchville and I'll just drop her off there. And he may not even thought about the coincidence, but then this other person did. Yeah. So if there are two murderers in this three murder story, you know, so Dennis Termini was a 25 year old Rochester firefighter and serial rapist. What? Yeah. So they got one of these just running around same time. Uh, He was known as the garage rapist. He is known to have committed at least 14 rapes of teenage girls and young women between 1971 and 1973. During the same time as the alphabet murders, Dennis also owned a beige vehicle similar in description to the vehicle seen by several eyewitnesses to the abductions. Additionally, he lived close to the area. Did you hear my tongue do that? It did something weird. It got like stuck. (laughs) Additionally, he lived close to the area where Michelle had last been seen alive. On January 1st, 1974, five weeks after the death of the final victim of the alphabet murders, Termini attempted to abduct a teenage girl at gunpoint. Like, what? The girl refused to stop screaming, and he fled. He did succeed in abducting another girl shortly after, but was pursued by police. The incident ended when Termini completed suicide by shooting himself in the head. And the forensic examination of his vehicle revealed traces of white cat fur on the upholstery. Mm. With the advancements in DNA technology, in January 2007, Termini's body was exhumed to obtain DNA samples for comparison with the semen samples recovered from Wanda's body. Mm -hmm. The results of this test confirmed Termini was not responsible for her murder. However, semen samples retrieved from the bodies of Carmen and Michelle had been lost, so they could not be tested. How are you going to lose something like that? I don't know. I don't know. Like, do y'all not have a spot where you keep everything and there's a box that has like a specific case on it? Like, is that not what y'all doing yet? Is that not part of it? The system? Like, what is this all just sitting back in a bin somewhere? What is going on? So, you know, so that's Dennis Termini, possible... Um, suspect and then the last suspect I have is Joseph Nasso so in April of 2011 77 year old Joseph Nasso was arrested in Reno Nevada for the murders of four women in California between 1977 and 1994 wow 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 yeah I was like oh okay um so you were just out here doing stuff like four year, like just four women. But in that 
long Long span. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's crazy. So all of whom were believed to have been sex workers. These four women were, um, in the case of these women, all of their surnames began with the same letter of their first name, just as the victims in the alphabet murder. So these sex workers, which I mean, I feel like that's a lot of work. It is. Unless you just know, unless you're frequently working. Yeah. Like, you know, having relations with sex workers, then I guess you would know like, oh, that's Tanya Wally. Yeah. Like Tanya Thomas or whatever, you know? So while he appears to be the perfect suspect, his DNA cleared him, at least in the case of Wanda Walkowitz, because, I mean, we don't have the DNA for, yeah. the, for Michelle or Carmen. Um, he has since been sentenced to death for the alphabet murders committed in California. So there's two alphabet murders. There's this one that they're calling alphabet murders, and then there's the one that Joseph Nasso actually did. Like a kid and an adult. Alphabet and an adult alphabet murder. Yeah. We still don't know who committed the alphabet murders or if he even intentionally used the alphabet in his victim selection. With advancements in DNA technology, perhaps we will know one day who this monster is. Carmen Cologne, Wanda Walkowitz, and Michelle Menza were each laid to rest in Rochester's Holy Sepulchre. Sepulchre? Sepulchre. <laughs> I took a break to look this up and now I'm saying it wrong. Rochester's Holy Sepulchre Cemetery. Carmen's funeral was conducted on November 22nd, 1971. Her funeral mass was attended by 200 mourners. Mm. Yeah. Wanda was laid to rest on April 6th, 1973, and she was laid to rest in a small white and gold casket following a service officiated by the Reverend Benedict Amen. Michelle's funeral was held at the Corpus Christi Church on December 1st, 1973, and her open casket funeral service was attended by a bunch of, you know, mourners as well. Yeah. And at the conclusion of Michelle's funeral service, her father, Christopher Menza, stated to other mourners, she was a sweet little girl. She didn't fight much. Mm-hmm. So that's the sad stories of the alphabet murders of Rochester, New York. It's sad. It is. Like, and we'll keep you updated on any of these unsolved ones that we do. Like I know Chelsea has an update. Um, I don't remember if we recorded it yet Mm -mm. about one of hers. So in her episode, you'll, unless you want to tell it down. Yeah. In one of her episodes coming up, she's going to give you an update about one of her cases. Um, And yeah, that is it. Yes. If you have any stories you want us to tell, any experiences, questions, comments, concerns, anything, you can email us at amillionmurders at gmail.com. You can also head to our Instagram, like us, follow us, look at the pictures we post of the cases we do, and you can check us out on Facebook on our page. We try to update y'all as much as we can, um, but y'all can do questions there requests what whatever mm-hmm. you want yes yes so who do you do you think any of those suspects do you think like one of them did all, but they none of the dna matched for any yeah, of I them i don't know you know maybe it is well we don't really know because they lost the dna right sample yeah like from well, yeah like all of these people 
who murdered like all of the girls who were murdered like we and the suspects we know of none of them killed Wanda per se like I don't think they tested Miguel for Wanda yeah I don't think they did but he may have completed suicide by the time all that happened because yeah but they could still get yeah but I'm saying like he may have died before she was even murdered. I can't oh, remember yeah. now. Looking, I done closed it out. So, <laughs> I don't know. But looking back, because um, he was, I forgot they had found. Oh well, he was in Puerto Rico. Remember he left. Mm, yeah. So he's probably not even a suspect um, in her murder, like in Wanda's. And so the other two didn't. I mean, I don't know. Unless it's just some huge coincidence. But then Michelle, like, is it like somebody copycatting somebody? Because copycat it could be, killers, they, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't either. I have no clue. Sorry, y'all. I love these though; they're so good, <laughs> and they bring light to it. Maybe somebody out there will know something. So if you do know something, you know, contact the Rochester, New York Police Department in New York. Nope, not New York City. Just in New York, America, (laughs) USA. Um, But all right, that's it. So thank you all for listening. We hope you come back for a million million more. more. Bye. Goodbye.